Hello, you lovely football fans, and welcome to episode two of the Bet It Right show in conjunction with BetItRight.com, which is a brand new website that brings the football data to your door. Each week, we'll update you on the key numbers and metrics that you can use to help you show off in front of your mates and allow you to bet better. So like, subscribe and get involved with us at BetItRight.com. Now, once again, I'm joined by football expert Dean Selby to look ahead to this weekend's games in the Premier League and across Europe. Um, good to see you again, Dean. How's things? Things are good, Ollie. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well. Yeah, um, lots of football at the moment to to watch. I find myself just sort of slobbing in front of the, the TV most nights now watching watching football. Obviously, we had the Amazon spell this week where every game was available. Yeah. Uh, and some, I don't know whether there were surprise results, but obviously some some key results in terms of the relegation battle and the the title race. Um, if we go back to the sort of start of the midweek fixtures, Newcastle versus Norwich, which sent Delia to sleep. Um, what did you make of that? Well, let, let's be having you. I mean, <laughs> you know, Pookie, Pookie, what a goal by Pookie. I mean, yeah. what an absolutely amazing finish. If you can fall asleep, with the noise at St James's Park and and that sort of a finish, then you know I, I think she probably needs to change her diet. But it's been, <laughs> it's been an amazing week. Um, Liverpool rampant again last night. Uh, I'm an Everton fan, so that that hurt. That hurt hard. People were leaving after like 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, I've got a theory. You know, maybe Benitez is just doing an inside job. Maybe it's one big <laughs> April Fool's joke that nobody's realised yet, and he just said to his agent. You know, I'll pop down to Finch Farm. I'll I'll mess around a bit, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, but I think with like with Mo Salah, you know, Firmino's injured. They bring in Diogo Jota, who was outstanding again last night. They're just a they're just a machine. Um, and then Neil Mopé scores a bicycle kick. I mean, I don't know what's happening. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen tonight. Uh, who knows? Yeah, we, we should just stress we we record this on Thursday morning, so it should be in your podcast platforms by by sort of Thursday evening, Friday morning. So we won't be able to talk, obviously, about United-Arsenal, which is happening tonight. But we obviously have... Um, have our, uh, We're on top of most of the results from, from the midweek fixtures. Um, Just on that, Ollie, before you move on, it's going to be really interesting, I think, for the, for the guys. They may, you know, depending on when people watch this, just the Man United-Arsenal game with Ralph Rangnick going in there, obviously his famous heavy metal football and his love of the pressing game, like the Gengen press kind of... Jurgen Klopp and the, you know the guys that follow it are exponents of it, and he and he, he's going to go into that club with players like Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandez, who have been shown in the metrics to to not want to press. And you know, has it been manager instruction? Has it been a lack of willingness? Will they want to do it under Ranić? Will it start tonight? So it's going to be a really interesting game. Carrick's in the dugout tonight, though, isn't he? Because of he is, he is, yeah. But I think big picture. But Ranić's there. I think the influence will be there, and. Uh, it's going to be interesting now moving forward to see whether Man United become like one of these ultra-pressing uh, ultra pressing teams and whether those big characters want to do it or not. That's definitely a good point. It's something we'll follow as well here on the Bet It Right show. Um, we've got an, uh, an excellent team that do our social media and oversee our, our account. And I've got to say that you, you really should follow at BIR Insights. Um, the team do an amazing job. And, and on that Twitter account, they'll post stats, data, tips, team news, a host of other sort of can't miss content. But they'll also 
um, ask for score predictions ahead of certain games each week. And a big well done to our Twitter followers who correctly predicted the scores in a couple of the Premiership games, uh, Premier League games that we asked for. Newcastle versus Norwich. Um, a few people got this right. FPL, Kale, Robbie Smith, Gary Sinclair and M. Weaver all correctly predicted one all. Absolutely. I don't know what they've won quite yet, but there will be prizes for this moving forward. <laughs> uh, in the Everton-Liverpool game, um, one person got it right. Neil Roberts, um, like Chesney Hawks, the one and only person to get the correct score of 4-1 Liverpool. Top work, Neil. Um, I can't clap that. I can't clap that. Well done. I just, I just can't. Yeah. I'll, I'll clap it for him. I, I think I think it's Everton getting me back because I went to watch Liverpool in the Champions League against Madrid, which is why I'm wearing my Atletico Madrid hoodie to the, for today's show. And I actually supported Liverpool that night because I was in Madrid. And I think that got back to Everton somehow and they, you know, they conspired against me, just just me, for this show. So, you know. They're watching. I hold my hands up. Thank you, Damari Gray, for scoring, but everybody else you need to do better. <laughs> Don't think he's over it. Um, right, anyway, those uh, those accounts that I just mentioned successfully predicted the future in those um, score predictions. So so well done to everyone and thanks to everyone who engages with us, but definitely follow that that. Uh, BIR Insights account. We've also got a prompts account as well. All the stuff you need ahead of every football match is on there, um, as it is on the website. But what we're going to try and do now is use the numbers to correctly predict the future. And so without further ado, let's get stuck into another huge weekend of football as we kick things off with our Premier League preview. We're going to start, I think, think, Dean, at the London Stadium, if we can. West Ham versus Chelsea, a London derby. What do you got for us? Two teams coming off difficult games last night. You know, West Ham went 1-0 up and looked like they'd scored a second before Mikel Antonio's toenail was, was offside by VAR, our friends at VAR. And Chelsea were given a rough ride at, at Watford. Um, give up, you know, one of their biggest XG games of the season, over 1.5, but managed to prevail 2-1. So this will be an interesting game. Uh, Star-wise, you know, Chelsea will look to dominate the game, dominate possession, control the territory. And they typically defend the counter-attack quite well. And that'll be, you know, how West Ham look to, to get in. West Ham have been better when they play teams that allow them to combine, allow them to, to find their 1v1s in wide areas and their small combinations. So I think it's a game where we can look at Chelsea, you know, being, being the dominant team. Not so much on the front foot, because I do think it'll be a difficult game for them, but... It's going to be an interesting style matchup for sure. Uh, is that what you were saying there about the counter-attack and Chelsea's ability to diffuse that through what you've seen? Is that West Ham's sort of MO throughout the course of the season to play that way? Or do you think they'll just set up like that against Chelsea? They're, well, their MO is obviously they're strong at set pieces. Um, Thomas Suchek arriving late uh, for crosses has been a, another area where they've dominated. But... They have some good 1v1 players in wide areas. They have very technical players in the final third. They like to combine. See, Mikel Antonio offers that physical threat. Against Chelsea, where they'll be dominated in midfield numbers-wise, uh, Chelsea three centre-backs against what typically one centre-forward. It's going to be a setup really, for this game. I think West Ham will look to counter-attack in this game, allow Chelsea to dominate the ball. So I think this is really a, a specific setup for, the, for this matchup. Um. Again, just another point that you you touched on with regards to the giving up the XG against Watford. 
I don't have the numbers to hand, but I remember watching the Brentford game and Mendy was essentially heroic that day. He made a number of key saves. Is that Was that just a blip last night? I know Rhys James was missing. There, there were a few key players missing. Lukaku's obviously being sort of um, brought back into the fold, coming off the bench a couple of times recently. Was that a blip or do you think there are some signs that the that it's not quite as tight as at first as as was first thought? Do you see what I mean? Well, as punters will know, you know, I bet it right. We work on large pools of data that helps us with looking at trends and predicting future performance. So if you look at Chelsea across the season to date, they've only conceded two goals at home. Uh, sorry, two goals away from home. Uh, they've given up. 7.22 expected goals. So from that, you would attribute a lot of that to Mendy with the saves that he's made. You know, they've actually conceded a lot less than they should have conceded. Last night, they've given up over 1.5 XG against Watford. Um, and they and they still come out of the game 2-1. But if you're looking at the attacking side on the other side of the ball, you know, they're averaging over two goals a game. So what they've typically been able to do away from home is keep it tight and, and squeeze games out. Um, but against West Ham, you know, West Ham are in the top five in the league for their outputs at home with with 1.85 goals a game. So they're not just going to sit there and take it. But I do think there'll be a very strategic plan to try and nullify the Chelsea strengths in this game. OK, so when we look at it from a sort of potential uh, betting um, angle, what, what do you think you sort of have fallen down on with regards to the numbers that you're seeing? Well, the both teams to score market is a is a a really conflicted kind of polar opposites one. You've got West Ham on one side, six out of seven at home have been a yes. You've got Chelsea on the other side, only two out of seven away have been yes. So you look at that and you're like, okay, well, which which one of those is going to give? Is it going to be West Ham that score? Or is it going to be Chelsea that kind of break that run for West Ham with both teams to score at home? And I think the potential bets for me, Chelsea, you'll see last night as a warning. Um, Chelsea to win to zero uh, with the both teams to score as a no. There's also a, a very interesting card market. Chelsea away from home only average 1.42 cards and West Ham at home only average one card a game. So a very low cards market. So potential there for an under 3.5 cards. Um, and also there with Chelsea getting almost half a card more than West Ham. Could be a small outside chance of Chelsea to get the most cards. So there's a couple of interesting markets there um, away from just the 1x2 and typical overs markets that we look at. OK, good stuff. Thanks for that. That's the first Premier League game dealt with. That's West Ham-Chelsea. I'm looking forward to that. Um, then we move on to, I mean, we've we've spoken about a London derby. I, can I call Southampton Brighton a South Coast derby? I don't think I can, can they? They don't really no. care. If there's any Portsmouth fans watching this, they'll be rolling around. Going, <laughs> yeah. We are the South Coast derby. I, I, uh, I, I'm trying to make you know. it as sexy as possible, that game, but I'm sort of struggling, really. Well, you know, it's it's red and white stripes versus blue and white stripes. <laughs> there is that. Um, but Crystal Palace, you know, Crystal Palace and, and, and Brighton, that's the big derby. And it's What's that, the A23 derby, the M23 that, derby. Yeah, that is, yeah. Which, I mean, surely they can come up with something better than a road. You know? An attractive derby name. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you've got, and then, you know, Brighton typically against Portsmouth. So this is sort of a, a I guess, a a 21st century creation by a few people, a few journalists trying to make it sound sexy, like you said, right? Yeah. Um, and when you look at both teams and the amount of chances that they've missed in games this season, 
And I'm I'm not taking anything away from Neil Mopé's goal last night. I mean, given the chances he missed against Leeds, what a goal to score to get yourself back rolling. But yeah, this is a game that that could be a bit of a dogfight. I, I can't quite get my head round why, and, and neither could Graham Potter, why Brighton fans were, were booing after the, the Leeds game. I mean, it, it makes no sense to me, given where they finished in the league before, where they are now, the you know the, what they're what they're doing there um both graham potter and tony bloom and, and his team sort of the ownership group I, I i think it's it's baffling really because if you told a brighton fan three years ago they were going to be sixth seventh in the league and you know playing decent football you'd, you'd bite bite their hand off wouldn't you but anyway i suppose when you when you're looking at the numbers for this game though does this look like a potential low scoring affair it does it does. Um, Southampton typically struggle against teams that are organised with lower blocks. I think in this game, they'll allow Brighton to dominate possession. They've been better when they can counter-attack and they have some space. So I think they'll be looking to get in behind with Che Adams, with Adam Armstrong. Um, Brighton are very consistent in their approach. And it's two teams that really just need to convert more chances. Looking at the Leicester game last night, Southampton were definitely exposed, but... I don't think Brighton have that sort of tempo that Leicester can bring to the game in those in those final third moments. So I do think it will be a game where it's you know possession based, dominated by by Brighton with Southampton allowing them to happen. Southampton as well are a team that if they go ahead, they're they're good at you know managing the game and making it quite difficult against kind of heavy possession teams. So I do think it's a game that that could be the first goal could be key, and it, and if Southampton get that, I think it, it could be. It could be the game that finally break Brighton's 1-1 kind of bonanza that they've been on at the moment. Uh, the uh, the other thing Graham Potter said in his press conferences in the lead up to the midweek games was he he made or well, he was he was asked about Neil Morpé and, and his form, I guess. Do, do Brighton have a I wouldn't say crisis, but do they have an issue up front with their strikers and particularly him? converting his chances is he cutting the mustard at the moment do the numbers sort of back up Potter's defense of him or is there potentially sort of a clinical issue there now if you if you do look at his numbers prior to the game last night he'd scored four goals from 4.87 xg so he's not you know he's not having loads and loads of chances at home it's a bit of a bigger issue for the team than away from home away from home they've been very predictive xg to goals is is almost kind of around 1, 1 1.1, very, very predictive at homes where they've struggled. And that probably, you know, is the reason for the fans booing. But as we know, football fans have a very short-term memory. Um, It's really what's happening now and what have we experienced in recent times and what do we now expect? It's that kind of expectation. Well, if we're 10th, then we want to be 8th. And if we're 8th, we want to be 6th. And if we're 6th, we want to be 4th. You know, nobody's nobody's ever happy. Even if they've won the league, the team that have won the league, oh, Next year, we only finished fourth. Oh, you know, we won the league last year. So it's it's really difficult to keep fans happy if, you, if you're not being consistent. And I think because since Potter's gone in there, they're playing an attractive style. Uh, he's getting a lot of plaudits for it. Uh, and I think the fans are now having, you know, as, as they're in the Premier League now as a settled side, I think the expectations have just risen. But it's going to be a tough game at Southampton, who, you know, they've only lost one game at home against Wolves. And... Um, yeah, it should be a, it should be a tight one. Uh, okay, so sum it up for us then. Um, 
bets wise unders yeah if you look at over 2.5 markets only two out of seven games both teams two out of seven at home for Southampton two out of seven away for Brighton have been over 2.5 goals so you immediately lean towards the unders uh, at 1-0 how are the teams going to change what's the game state going to be like I think both teams would sit on 1-0 they wouldn't really push for a second Brighton no away win in the last five games four draws and one loss so for me, the potential markets would be the under 2.5 market. Looking at a draw potentially, but then you're thinking, well, maybe I want to be a bit more aggressive than that. So if Southampton were available in the draw no bet market, that's where my money would be going for a little outside shot. OK, next up, Wolves versus Liverpool. There's absolutely no way I can even try and make this a derby, but, um, I, but I, so I'm not going to try. But, but I guess the obvious starting point is that Liverpool are rampant at the moment, that there, I mean, for a football fan to watch them is a joy, even, you know, no matter what, apart from being an Everton fan, every other team, as a neutral, you could, you could watch them and enjoy it. I mean... I'd actually forgotten I was an Everton fan. There. <laughs> that. I'll always remind you, especially I now. I know. It's, it is, what, what they're doing there, attacking, um, offensively, is, is pretty, pretty bloody impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. I started I started supporting Everton. I know I obviously look a lot younger than than I am, but I started supporting Everton in the mid-80s when they were one of the top teams. Them and Liverpool always in the FA Cup final, the famous Ian Rush goal when it knocked over the camera. And my only ever success has been the 1995 FA Cup final where Paul Rideout scored with a header off the underside of the crossbar. And basically, since then, it's just been misery. Misery, misery, misery. A few Champions League qualifiers, thanks Villarreal, and since David Moyes left, it's just been a, yeah, it's been a lot of nothingness. And watching Liverpool's progression um, under Klopp especially has been, you know, it's been something to marvel at. The style, the tempo, the way they use their fullbacks, the front three, the midfield domination. You know, they've got the jack in the box now, uh, bringing off the bench of Thiago, who's starting now to, to show everybody how good he is after a bit of a slow start. And I guess... You, you can't call it a derby, but what you could call it is the Adama Traore job interview because they've shown that they want him. They've got loads of oil, you know, in the <laughs> cupboards ready to get the biceps rocking. And uh, the reports are now saying that he could be available for as little as between 18 to 20 million, which for a player that 12 months ago was 30 to 40 million could be a bit of a bargain. Uh, the... <laughs> Every time you talk about Everton, I just feel so sorry for you. I just want to give you a big hug. Um, I thought you were thinking then about the oil. That's what you were struggling with. <laughs> my whole brain was just scrambled then. Uh, OK, so when we look at the matchup, I mean, we obviously know what Liverpool do. We know their strengths. That's pretty obvious. The numbers very much back up what everyone would assume anyway. But what, what do Wolves bring to the table? Um, not a lot. No, no, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Goff will not be happy with you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, well, Liverpool, Liverpool is a team. It's like watching Arjen Robben in his, in his prime, cutting him from the right. It's like everybody knows what he's going to do, but no one can stop him doing it. And it's the same as Liverpool. Everyone knows they're going to be high octane. They know they're going to be high tempo. They know that the fullbacks are going to be really high. So really what Wolves could bring to the table here is, is playing Adama Traore again. Obviously, Daniel Podence is, is injured and the... The contract negotiations are ongoing and he's been in and out of the team. He played last night. Obviously, they drew him nil-nil. But he could be the outlet into the channel, down the sides where Trent 
uh, Trent is missing or Robertson's missing, probably down the Trent side because Robertson's recovery is so much better. But I expect Liverpool front three to go and pin. Uh, the Wolves back three play really narrow and aggressive, which will, which will cause them problems. Liverpool should be able to dominate central areas in central midfield. Wolves are a team that have typically, um, you know, not given up much at home. They've got the seventh best defensive me metrics in the league, but it's at the other end of the pitch that they've really struggled. They're in the bottom three for XG, for shots, for shots on target, for goals. Whereas if you flip that on its head, Liverpool, high scorers, highest XG, highest shots, highest shots on target in the league, home and away. And that was before last night. So those statistics will have gone even higher. And they're just a machine. So for me, it's Wolves on the counter or nothing. Liverpool to dominate possession. Liverpool to dominate and overload central midfield. And I think this is a game where Wolves are going to have to fight to get our life. Uh, given what you're, what you're saying, there's possibly a few angles that we could approach this game with. Yeah, this would be, if, you know, if I was sat at home and I had my pad and my pen out, which I probably will have, this would be a potential game where I could look at little, you know, like a bet builder or looking at a couple of different metrics within the game because there's a few, there's a few uh, exciting kind of angles to look at it. Liverpool have the, the number two in the league on, on corners away from home, so averaging over eight corners a game and they only give up two, just, uh, just over two and a half corners. Wolves only give up four corners a game, so that, that eight might come down a little bit, but first market to look at would be Liverpool to get the most corners. Um, the overs market is very flipped. Wolves have only had two out of seven games at home with over 2.5. Liverpool, seven out of seven. So is it similar to the game we talked about earlier with Chelsea-West Ham? Is it Liverpool that turn the record or is it Wolves that improve? Um, so I would probably leave the overs market there. Cards market... Wolves have almost one card more per game, home versus away, than Liverpool. So Wolves to get the most cards. Total cards between the two teams is 2.57 on average. Um, so you could look at a potential unders on the cards market, either over 2.5 or under 3.5, depending on how brave you want to be. And I think this is a game where the both teams to score could be a no and Liverpool could potentially win to zero. This is a game where, outside of Adama Traore on the counter-attack, it's a game I could see Liverpool dominating. And there's a few angles to look at there. Potential bet builder, but the overall picture, Liverpool to dominate, potentially to zero. And they should be uh, they should be in a great position to improve those statistics again. OK, thanks for that, Dean. As always, there's, um, there's some games in the Premier League looked at. We're going to go down a rung on the ladder now, though, to the Championship. There is a top-of-the-table clash this weekend between Fulham and Bournemouth. We chatted about Fulham uh, on the first show. Uh, actually, both teams are coming on the back of a couple of draws. So they'll be both are looking to get back in the winner's enclosure. Um, and Scott Parker, obviously, re returning to, to Craven Cottage, now as Bournemouth manager. So there's a couple of interesting angles to, to focus on with this match. Yeah, there is. And there's a couple of interesting angles to look at it from statistics as well. You've got Fulham with the highest XG, highest goals, shots and shots on target at home and then you've got Bournemouth from a defensive side with the lowest xg conceded the lowest goals conceded the lowest shots and the lo lowest shots on target conceded so you've got the best of the best versus the best of the best so it's been a, a bit of a trend of our chat today you know which team's going to give Bournemouth probably on the worst of a you know only one winning five both teams coming off for two draws 
both teams need to get back onto that winning run. Fulham, uh, you know, they've had a longer unbeaten run than Bournemouth. Scott Parker will obviously know the squad. He'll he'll have some inside tricks there. Fulham in their last games with players coming back from this mystery illness and players not training and in their in their last game that a lot of the players that missed training looked a little bit off tempo. So they've had a week's training behind them now. They should be coming into this game flying and. You know, they both like to dominate the ball. They both like to control possession. Jefferson Lerma missing for Bournemouth could be key at set pieces. So, yeah, it's going to be a big game. And and there's a this could be the one that separates, you know, those two from the group below because they're, they're seven and eight points above the third position in the two automatic promotion spots right now. So this could be a real kind of stamp to say, right, we're going back to the Premier League. So, yeah, a huge game in the Championship. Uh, the the winner of that will go top of the league. Basically, there's a, there's not much separating them. So so it obviously has massive implications about position in the league, etc. But I, I, you, you mentioned that about sort of stamping their authority. Just in terms of the numbers, are they a long way clear of uh, of of the rest? I mean, I know Sheffield United have a new manager. Actually, I mentioned him earlier in the podcast. But Nick Goff. Um, my old sparring partner on Only Balls and Horses, he tweeted that someone's taking over in Sheffield United, a, a team that are going to do pretty well recently, that like the, the trends were looking positive for them. Obviously, they're, they're probably miles off being talked about for automatic promotion, but are they a side, for example, in the Championship that people should be looking at to put in their weekend ackers because actually the numbers are turning around positively for them and obviously an ex-Premier League side from last year? Yeah, they will be. And this is where Bet It Right can can really help punters we talked about it last week with the recency you know if you're if you're noting down similar to what we talked about with newcastle but they haven't kicked on from that 3-3 when you look at the recency and you go in the into the statistics tables and the betting tables and you can look at the last two four six eight ten games you can make some notes and look at sheffield united's outputs look at the game summaries see okay right across the metrics how have they been performing season to date whenever there's a change in manager at any club it's always great to go into that club and start to just track them for the first two or three games and say, right, you know, have they improved in possession? Have they improved corners? Are they giving up more corners? Have they improved cards? You know, has, has a coach gone in there and given them the old, we need to be more aggressive. So they're now up and at them. You know, is it gone from a low press to a high press? So maybe they're giving away more fouls. So it's really important when people start to see the change of manager to look for those early trends, because sometimes the market doesn't catch it as quickly as, as you can if you're looking at statistics. Sometimes it takes the market four, six, eight games to adjust in the price. So actually, if you're on it, from a statistics point of view, you can beat the market. Um, you know, obviously bet better and hopefully our statistics can help people to uh, to make a bit more profit. Something to bear in mind with the, uh, the championship. Uh, thanks, Dean. Time for us to go around Europe. We're, we're off to Italy now. The big game in many ways is Napoli versus Atalanta and Napoli, as you predicted on the first show, beat Lazio pretty convincingly. But then against Asuela, they gave up a two goal lead and also potentially have a few injuries to come um, from that game. Are the wheels falling off Napoli, do we think? I, I wouldn't say they're falling off. There's a couple of bolts that are a little bit loose that they just need to ratchet up. Uh, 
The game against Lazio, we talked about whether Mertens would be able to come in for Osman, what impact that would have on their style. They were exceptional. The first day, five minutes, if, if people have access to, to Serie A footage, you know, go on to BT Sport, go online, watch the, watch the game, watch the goals. Mertens was outstanding. The, the goals were just unbelievable. Last night, it was a, a tough game against Sassuolo. 45 minutes, 50 minutes, couldn't break through. And then a, a, a bit of class again for Mertens to grab the second 2-0. They look like they're strolling. Made a couple of substitutions. And then Sassuolo came flying back 2-2. Looked like they'd won it in the in the 92nd minute, but VAR put a stop to that. Domenico Berardi chasing after the referee, you know, around the TV. Um, and, you know, Atalanta beating Venezia 4-0, not really a, a fixture that's, that carries that much weight just because of how poor Venezia have been away from home. But yeah, both teams open, expansive, quick uh, in their counter-attacking style and transitions, loads of combination plays, some real silky players on both teams. Uh, a couple of players went off last night for Napoli, Koulibaly being one of them, which could be a massive, uh, you know, a massive miss for them in this huge game. Uh, Napoli at home, unbeaten at home, They've only dropped two points. Atalanta, unbeaten away, have only dropped two points. Uh, when they both played Inter, Atalanta draw 2-2. Napoli lose 3-2. So these two teams, you know, are very, very evenly matched. Last season, it was Napoli smashing Atalanta at home 4-1. Na Atalanta smashed Napoli at home 4-2. So it really is two of the best teams in Serie A meeting this weekend. How do you see it going from a, from a possible betting angle? Well, for me, it's all about goals. Both teams, Napoli, Atalanta, both average over two goals a game. Both had XG up towards two home and away, respectively. Napoli defensive record has been brilliant with only 0.27 goals per game from 0.6 XG. And Atalanta only given up 0.8 goals from 1.3 XG. So it's, it's whether the attacking quality is enough to open up the defensive units from each team. And I would say absolutely yes. Atalanta can be a little bit soft through the middle. Their three at the back can be exposed by pace. Napoli in wide areas overloading with fullbacks. A real good midfield battle. And the quality in the final third would lead me towards goals. And that would be my first market. I would be looking at the overs market. I would expect the line to be around 3.0. So your over 2.5 market may be a little bit of a shorter price. But if you want to you know, have a little bit of a risk, then maybe over 3.5 is the market. One other outside market I would look at, Napoli average 1.63 cards per game. Uh, Atalanta almost three cards per game. So there you could also throw in a little Atalanta to have the most cards as a little outside bet. But for me, the big one on this is goals, goals, goals. Uh, elsewhere in Europe, it's a terrific weekend of fixtures, actually, because we've got uh, De Classica in the Bundesliga, um, Obviously, Dortmund versus Bayern, and Bayern scored their 102nd league goal of 2021 as a calendar year. Is that it? 102? And it's unreal, isn't it? That's the most in German football. I mean, they really should improve. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually bonkers when you think of that. <laughs> I think Lewandowski got 101 of them, <laughs> but didn't win the Ballon d'Or, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, he's useless. Uh, and in Spain this weekend... Um, it is Sociedad versus Real Madrid. Real Madrid are now seven points clear in Spain after home wins against Sevilla and, and Bilbao. Um, so there are a couple of obviously key fixes in the Bundesliga and La Liga this weekend to, to factor in with implications obviously on, on title races and what have you. 
Yeah, the, the the game in the Bundesliga. I've followed the Bundesliga for quite a few years now, and it's always an amazing game. Bayern have dominated in recent times, won the last six, and the last meeting was the Super Cup win where they won three one. But Bayern on the road have been have been problematic for a while now. When they when they're at home, they're a strong team that and opposition teams tend to sit in and kind of say, "Okay, Bayern, you're amazing. Please score as many goals as you want." Whereas when they go away from home, it's been a struggle. And Dortmund with fans back in the stadium with the yellow wall. It, it could be a really interesting game. You know, uh, Dortmund, one of only two teams in Europe not to have drawn a game so far this season with Fiorentina in Italy. And both teams have had 12 out of 13 games, both teams to score. Similar to Fulham and Bournemouth, they're seven and eight points clear of third place. They're first and second. They've got the first and second leading goal scorers in Lewandowski and Haaland. Haaland came back against Wolfsburg for 18 minutes and managed to score on his return. So he's really setting up to be an absolute firecracker. You know, if I was wanting to put a bet on, even though I didn't really follow German football, uh, I would be in the both teams to score market. The odds won't be great, but it's pretty much a banker from me, I think. I'm just going to, as we always do, just <clears throat> bring the, the listeners and the viewers up to speed with some other news just in Europe. We'll, we'll stay in Germany for now, but Hertha have parted ways with head coach. Pal Dada after a poor run of results and Tayfan Korkut takes charge until the end of the season. The Bundesliga's the spot for a Champions League um, place is fascinating because there's just four points that separate Freiburg who are in fourth and Eintracht Frankfurt who are in 12th in the Bundesliga and the teams in between who are in contention for that fourth spot include Hoffenheim, Leipzig, um, Mainz, Gladbach, you know, everyone's involved. It's it's a very compressed sort of middle part of the the table. Uh, in Germany. Um, and I think that's, Oli, just on that, I think it's a it's a reflection of the fact that there were so many new managers this season in the Bundesliga. Right. You had, I think there was something ridiculous, like 13, 12 or 13 new managers out of the all the teams in the league. And that's being reflected, I think, in this, you know, obviously Bayern and Dortmund are always there or thereabouts, but teams like Freiburg, who, whose manager that has been there for over, I think it's almost 11 years now. He's one of the longest serving managers in world football. Uh, and he's finally getting a chance in, you know, in that top six. And I think that's just a reflection of the Bundesliga being a crazy, a crazy league where it goes five nil, one nil, ten nil, three. You know, it's it's a, yeah. it's a bonkers league. For those Bennett right followers out there that don't watch it, if you're a bit bored of the Premier League or the Championship and you want something different, go to the Bundesliga, go to Serie A. It's goals, 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 and it, you know they're a really exciting leagues to watch. It it sure is, and. Um... Speaking of managers, in Spain this time, Levante have sacked manager Javier Pereira. And in France, we touched on this last week with the crowd trouble. Well, Lyon will install protective nets um, at their stadium to shield corner takers after Dimitri Payet was struck by a bottle last month. I mean, what's it's it? It's COVID, right? It's, they're trying to separate everything. You know, they're, they're dressing it up. You know, before you know it, We'll be playing in an enclosed box with people kind of like a zoo. No, it's it's a good it's a good thing. It's the fan trouble in in France has been accelerating in the last eighteen months. Um, but it's like after two minutes, minutes into the game, there's like it's just absolute carnage. Like nothing yeah. happens in the game for it to like just see flares and bottles and you know everything happening. I remember that when Pyatt got got hurled stuff at in the and I looked at the clock it was like one minute 25 into the, I was thinking what yeah that and that that passion you know it just it it just flows over and I think a lot of a lot of football fans being kept out of the stadiums for so long with COVID 
everyone has this kind of built up emotion that they need to release. And now that football has started to go again and we've got the new variant and there's frustration and, you know, football is the one thing that people have been clinging to through, through the difficult times. So there's also always that team to team rivalry, but I think there's also that personal kind of feeling that we're back and, you know, let's, let's go and let's mm. kind of have it. It kind of turned into like the seventies, eighties kind of green street kind of situations, which, which we, you know, obviously we don't want in football, but it's good to see the passion, but we just need to keep it, you know, yeah. under control. I should have asked you actually just one question. I, at the start of the season, I did a, 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 lit, a variety of, of, um, I say muggy ackers, but they were sort of pre-season sort of jackpot seeking this team to win this league, this team to win this league. And the pin the tail on the donkey acker, that one. Well, it was not quite as muggy as that, but it <laughs> there was some thought behind it. <laughs> Thank you though. Uh but Napoli are in quite a lot of them. Is 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 what happened against the Swolo just sort of further solidified your view from last week that Inter are massive fabs to win Serie A? Can Atalanta figure in that race? RAC players, because actually now there's, I think, four points or maybe six points separating Napoli to Atlanta, but three points that separate Napoli, AC, Inter. So it's really tight at the top there. Yeah, with Sassuolo, you're looking at a team that went to Milan and won 3-1 at the weekend and Roman Nioli's red card was, was after the game was done and dusted. They've got top, top players. And their manager left last year, went to Shakhtar. Obviously, Berardi won the Euros. Uh, they've got a very young, couple of young Italian forwards, Scamacca Raspadori. Scamacca scored an unbelievable goal um, uh, in the in the in the win at the weekend, and and again last night. And you know they're not a team. So if you look at Napoli and you think, oh, they they drew against Sassuolo. Sassuolo are, are a good team with good players, but the the league is open this year, and Juve have typically been the team at the top every year. Bang, 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 and last year Inter broke that. Then there was a huge managerial turnaround. And this season, it's it's opened up. And I think that all of the teams there have a chance. Atalanta, Napoli, Inter Milan. AC, squad depth is a problem. But last night, Junior Messias, an amazing story. 25 years old, was still playing semi-professional Serie D. Came up through the leagues to play for Crotone in Serie A. Got a big move to Milan. Scored against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, aged 30 years old. And last night, he grabbed two. So... Maybe they're not out of it. Maybe the squad depth isn't a problem. But it, the, the, the thing with Serie A is they've got midweek all the way now until the, till the Christmas break. Round one was this week, next week and the following week. So those games are going to be really key midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend, all the way up to Christmas. So I'd keep your eyes on it. But it's uh, no, I'd say that your money, it's not dead yet. It's not dead yet. You've still got a chance. Hallelujah. You know? Don't chuck the betting slip in the bend just yet and lose your, lose your mind. You're still there. You've got a chance. It will be dead in three weeks when Kula, Bali and Sinyi, Osman are all out and Napoli can't win a game. Um, OK, well, thank you for that. Well, there's a look at some of the stories that have been taking place around Europe, but obviously most of this, the news and conversation in the football world this week has been around the Ballon d'Or and Lionel Messi winning it for a record-extending seventh time ahead of Robert Lewandowski and Jorginho. Best keeper went to Donnarumma to go with his Player of the Euros award. And the golden boy went the way of Pedri, who really has taken the football world by storm, despite only just coming out of nappies. And there was more success for Barcelona players as Alexia Patelis won the female Ballon d'Or. So those are the award winners. Um, 
I mean, lots of people have a, a view. Managers have spoken about it. Players have spoken about it. Tony Cruz said it was an outrage. Uh, you know, various different views from football fans around the world. What do you think, Dean? And what do the numbers say? Well, I heard from a little birdie that it was actually just, it was a big tombola drum and they just <laughs> wound it round. And when they put their hand in, like the old FA Cup draw back in the day, and they wiggled their hand around, there was only one ball in there. <laughs> and it just said Messi on it. And that was the only choice. You didn't actually have a choice. And they just threw some other names in there just to make it interesting because they needed to fill up some, some, uh, you know, some space on the, on the web page. Uh, there's no point me, you know, if I could hold up an emoji of a goat, you know, it's it's the same stuff that's rehashed over and over again. Yes, he's great. Yes, he's the greatest. Yes, he's amazing. But if you look at the the calendar year, and that extends into the end of last season, obviously Robert Lewandowski breaking Gerd Müller's scoring record in injury time, uh, away from you know to break that record and and to be so consistent over a long period of time. And yes, Messi still had amazing metrics. He still scored forty goals across across the calendar year and. If you look at his other um, contributions to the team, so dribbles, passes, key passes, uh, things in the final third, that's better than Lewandowski. But there again, it's like comparing Ronaldo and Messi. They're different players, just a pure goal scorer. So I think for a lot of people, they're just kind of frustrated that maybe it gets awarded on, on history and on reputation as opposed to on, you know, raw statistics and performance. Uh, Pedri... Obviously, an unbelievable talent. Again, because he played at the at the Euros and at the under twenty ones, he's on the forefront of everyone's mind. Donnarumma wins the Euros, so he's on the forefront of everyone's mind. A little bit like when Cannavaro won the World Cup and became, and got the Ballon d'Or, and Jorginho coming third again at the forefront because of winning the Euros. So a little bit like we talked about in the show, you know, about fans kind of forgetting the past and wanting more. This is like. You vote for the person that's in your mind's eye at the time. You kind of forget about what's, you know, what's gone on. And it's all Messi. He's gone to PSG. He's in the media. Let's vote for Messi. And, you know, Johan Cruyff famously described the Ballon d'Or as kind of an award that's voted for by people's friends. So I, from my tone, I think you can guess. <laughs> uh, I would have just like to see Lewandowski got it. You know, he's into his 30s. He doesn't play for... You know, he hasn't had success at international level like Messi did this year. Everyone's saying that Messi won the Copa America, which is great, but he has he's surrounded by a very good team at Argentina. So I would have just liked something different. But that's just me. I feel sorry for him because he was an absolute shoe in wasn't he? Lewandowski in 2020, the year that it sort of got scrapped. Um, exactly. He stopped scoring, you know. He hasn't gone off. He hasn't disappeared. He hasn't moved to a third division team and put his feet up. He's still banging in the goals. He scored a bicycle kick in the snow last week, you know, two weeks ago. Should give him the award just for that. <laughs> yeah, un unfortunately, Lewandowski has carried on scoring in 2020. My 2020 in front of goal at five aside was phenomenal. 2021 has been been barren. I've gone the other way to Lewandowski, unfortunately. But yeah, but you can blame it on the COVID weight. Just blame <laughs> it on the COVID weight. I know that it's probably slightly after the Lord Mayor's show, but it would be quite interesting to see who our followers on the Twitter page think should have won the um, Ballon d'Or. Perhaps we'll put a poll up and, and ask whether it should be Jorginho Lewandowski. Well, Jorginho, definitely anyone that votes for them, you know, I'm not going to say unfollow, unfollow us because I'm not that aggressive, but 
He's not the best <laughs> player already, mate. <laughs> not the best player in the world. I mean, come on, let's 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 don't sway let's the vote, Dean. Leave let's it to the public to decide. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Thanks. Customer is always right. So yeah, please. they've got it right with Brexit. They've got it right with so many other things. <laughs> Let them uh, no, no comment. No comment. Yeah, I, uh, we're definitely not a political podcast. So I can assure you that we are a football podcast. We might put that vote up. If we do, make sure you vote at BIR Insights. Okay, it's that time of the show then when we give you our best bets and our weekend acker. Uh, so, Dean, what have you got for us? So the best bet of the weekend, I'm going to go to our infamous, well, now the now called the Sexy Derby, uh, which was the South Coast Derby, which didn't really exist. Sorry, Portsmouth, Crystal Palace. And I'm going to go for unders in the Southampton versus Brighton game. I'm going to put my neck on the line and say that those players that should be scoring, Adam Armstrong, Neil Mope, are going to have another dry day in front of goal. And unders in that game for, for better the day. Or better the weekend. And what about the weekend Acker? So the four-game Acker for this week, we are going to go, as we discussed earlier, Chelsea versus West Ham. We're going to go for Chelsea. In the their Classica, we're going to back Bayern to, to continue that unbeaten run against Dortmund with an away win. We are going to go for Fiorentina to reverse our... Predictions from last week, naughty Fiorentina, and beat <laughs> Bologna. And we are going to go for a Spanish fiesta at the end with a Valencia win over Celta Vigo. So Chelsea, Bayern, Fiorentina and Valencia, your four-team ACA of the weekend. Write that down. Get your bets on. Good luck. Thank you, Dean, for that. Um, and thank you for your contribution once again on the show. It's... Um, we, I mean, we've picked out some some key fixes, but right across Europe, there are some belting games this weekend. It's a it's a weekend to sort of get a blanket on, sit in front of the telly with a nice cup of tea, and just watch football from Saturday at about eleven o'clock in the morning through to Sunday evening. Right? It is. I mean, who misses the days when you had to wait for the Saturday FA Cup show? You know, get one game every three weeks and then wait up until match of the day. Whereas now. You can just turn on Amazon Prime and have multiple screens in your house and kids on the iPad and one game here, one game there. It is a, it, you know, it's a, it's a great time to be a fan. And for those punters out there that that like a little midweek bet, a little midweek acker, a little bet builder, get yourself on bet it right. Have a look at the statistics, the betting. Follow, as Ollie said, follow the BIR insights, but also follow the BIR prompts page on Twitter, which gives in-play prompts that change based on the game state. Uh, it's it's a really unique part of what we do. So follow it, you know, give us some feedback. And and yeah, I'm looking forward to another great weekend of football. Yeah, very well said. And actually, because we're we're relative, <laughs> relatively new with this show, it's really important that people like and subscribe and rate us on, on their podcast providers, but also follow those pages that Dean mentioned and sign up to the website because all the stuff that we're talking about is available to you. Yeah, you go to betterride.com. It's all there. You can see the numbers for yourself. You can analyze till your heart's content all the information that we've got on that website. So um, we're at the start of a journey that hopefully you can come on with us um, and we can all bet better, I guess. Um, Dean, thank you. I don't know whether you've heard a very brief phone ring from my 
phone there. If you did, apologies, ladies and gentlemen. That was my grandma, which is my cue to leave. I've got to go and ring my grandma. So thank you very much, as always. Thank she's, calling, you. she's calling you for tips, right? She wants yeah, to know yeah, she, she, week. She just said, "What? What? What's the what's the acca?" I said, "Grandma." Yeah, not live yet. Down, grandma, it's coming. Give me two yeah. minutes. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say to her? I'm going to say, "You've got to like, subscribe, and follow us, Grandma." Um, exactly. Right. Thank you, mate. Uh, we'll see you same time, same place next week and we'll reflect on what is going to be a huge weekend of football. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next time here on the Bet It Right Show. Bet it right.